This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The Young Turks, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Media Matters Minute, The David Pakman Show, Counterspin, and Comedian Lee Camp. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, exposure to Fox News may lead to high blood pressure, headache, irritability, reduced memory, disturbed sleep, and mood and personality changes. This is unbelievable. And I guess it can't be blamed on Romney, although I don't know if it's better or worse because of that fact. Now, did you know that Mitt Romney, and I'm not sure what to make of this, Mitt Romney did not mention the war in Afghanistan during his speech. Still have about 80,000 Maybe 87,000 U.S. troops. I don't know. They could be somewhere between 79 and 87,000 U.S. troops in Afghanistan. When he got the nomination, his not mentioning the war that we're engaged in is the first time a Republican presidential nominee did not mention war since 1952 when Dwight Eisenhower was the nominee and just generally spoke about American power and spreading freedom around the world and he of course was uh, had pretty serious military bona fides and probably was dealing with a sort of little bit of war fatigue after um, what was that um, oh World War II so how to Butch up Mitt Romney's war bona fides, I guess. Because this is a guy we all know did not serve in Vietnam. I'm not saying that's necessary that you need to. Um, he got, I think, multiple deferments based upon his missionary work and then getting like a dual law and business degree or something like that. But instead, he went on missionary work to, well, to a country in 1968, Soissons-Huitard. It's a little clue as to where he went. And apparently, it was not all peaches and cream, as it were. Here is Gloria Borger from CNN narrating a Romney documentary I don't know. I guess if I want to be generous to Gloria Borger, she was just handed this uh, voiceover uh, lines from the Romney campaign. Although I guess that wouldn't be that generous. But to think that she actually wrote it herself or that a producer wrote it and she never questioned it is also not very generous. There's no way to explain this. Tommy Christopher has a great uh, takedown on this in Mediate. But here is the audio. And there are pictures of protesters in France, and, well, here it is. In 1968, France was a dangerous place to be for a 21-year-old American. But Mitt Romney was right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. There were protests, and there were blockades, and there were marches all over the country. 
The streets of France were in chaos. There was no train service. There were no buses, no newspapers. The electricity would go off from time to time. There were no letters from home. The money at the time came via check. That was our lifeline, was getting those letters from home. So you were totally isolated. Totally isolated. The horror. Two 21-year-olds stuck without an ability to read a newspaper for almost months at a time. Sporadic letters. I, I, I can only imagine what this was like. I mean, just picture yourself. It's France. It's 1968. And of course, Romney and his buddy are like members of like the American Partisan Group. And they're trying to make their way through the city of Paris. And their only help, their only help is some guy named Jean or Claude who's telling him, meet. Don't worry, I will get for you some bread. Or would you care for a croissant? Or would you, would you like some jam with that? Or maybe a tart? Would you like a nice tart? A strawberry tart? This time of year, the, the plum tarts are wonderful. It will be very difficult. It will cost you several francs. And uh, I know that you don't drink alcohol, so maybe I'll get you two croissants. Or a bread roll. Would you like a nice warm bread roll? I know this has been very difficult. You have not received a letter from your parents in probably several weeks. So uh, allow me to bring you a, a warm glass of milk. Or mm, perhaps a crepe. Would you care for a crepe? Or, or a croque monsieur? This is a very difficult time. We only have open-faced ham and cheese sandwiches. But they will be. It will be toasted to perfection. So please, don't, don't go out on the streets. It's very dangerous for an American who speaks only decent French. Uh, because, of course, as a chairman of... Uh, the son of a chairman of a major American car corporation and uh, governor that you... You had access to a very nice education at your private school in Michigan. So your French is actually not bad. But I will get your croissant for you. And then, of course, I will come back and just straighten up the apartment for you. Because it's uh, quite a mess, and I know how difficult that can be. We have to clean it up. Oh, my, I miss this chaos! There it is. Just a little taste of what it was like to be Mitt Romney. Um, apparently, in 1968, there was a... There was also some unrest in Vietnam. Um, in fact, I think that was the year that um, almost uh, 17,000 deaths were reported in Vietnam of American soldiers. And of course, all the people protesting against that war and uh, other things made it very difficult for Mitt Romney and his, um, his buddy there. They couldn't get their checks from their dad. And so they probably had to Ration money. I've got a friend, he's a purebred killing machine. He said he's waited his whole damn life for this. I knew him well when he was 17. Now he's a man, he'll be dead by Christmas. And so everybody's going to war. But we don't know what we're fighting for. 
Mitt Romney is losing, and at this point, according to the polls, if the election were held tomorrow, and it's not held tomorrow, obviously, so there's a long time to change this equation, but if it were held tomorrow, President Obama has an 85% chance of getting reelected, according to one polling analysis, but it was a very, very sound one, right? So now, apparently, the conservative commentators have gotten the memo. And so what they're telling Mitt Romney is, you gotta get more vicious, if only you did more personal attacks. Wow, that's genius, I wouldn't have thought of that. Well, here's Bill O'Reilly and Sarah Pip. Should Mitt Romney go after Barack Obama more in a more personal way? Should he use words like incompetent, dangerous, socialist, those kinds of buzzwords that would get an enormous amount of attention, it would lock people in. Well, and Should they're not just buzzwords, those are accurate descriptions of so our you commander say, yes, in chief. Should do that. Yes, yeah. he should. Yeah, only if they went below the bottom of the barrel, then they would be in great shape. If they, you know, the problem with Fox News and the Republicans is they haven't called the president socialist enough. You nailed it. Here they go again. What they didn't do was hold him, him being the president, personally responsible. Say, look, it's not about policy so much, it's about him. He's a hardcore and you fill in the blank. They didn't do it. And you're saying the only hope the GOP has is if they change and bring it directly to him personally. I think that's what I'm hearing, Governor. They do have to bring it directly to Obama personally, a reflection of what he stands for, and his record proves what he stands for. You've got to use so those no, buzzwords. You've got to say socialist. Well, You've got to do that to get people's attention. Well, that was incredibly clear. So who cares what the policies are? Who cares about anything else? Just attack him personally. Call him nasty words. What are you, third graders? You know what? I showed Bobby. I called him a socialist. <laughs> but that's all they have because the American people are not on their side. They don't want more tax cuts for the rich. They don't want you to cut their Social Security and Medicare. They don't more, want more wars in the Middle East. They don't agree with you, Bill O'Reilly, Sarah Palin, and all the rest of you. So they're desperate. They're like, God, if we were just more vicious and attacked them more personally, but then I bet we would win because that's the only strategy you have. Now, Laura Ingram gets frustrated, just like them. If you can't beat Barack Obama with this record, then shut down the party. Shut it down. Start new with new people. Because this is a gimme election, or at least it should be. They're like, how could you not be beating Barack Obama? We hate him so much. They think, well, the whole country must hate him as much as we do. How could you be losing to him? He's Obama. Ugh, no. Well, here comes Rush Limbaugh. If Obama wins, that's the end of conservatism. Nope. If Obama wins, let me say what's the end of the Republican Party. That would be awesome. All right, but you see, they're in a panic because. They've thrown everything they got. They already threw the kitchen sink. And they already got vicious. And they already called him a socialist a million times. And it didn't work. And Romney's still losing. So the main thing they have to do is pretend that it was Romney and not their ideas that was at fault. In fact, as he usually does, Rush Limbaugh does a classic case of projection here where he thinks, 
well, I think this way, so I'm going to project that onto liberals. Listen to what he says about Obama and realize that he's in fact saying about Romney and conservatives. Watch. If these people in the media and if other powerful Democrats think they get it in their head that Obama's going to lose, they will throw him overboard to save the ideology. The ideology must be saved and will not be blamed. You understand? In other words, he's saying, I think Romney's lost. That's why we got to throw him overboard to save the ideology and say it wasn't the problem with the conservative ideology. It was that Romney was a bad candidate. In fact, he compared him to Elmer Fudd in his show this week. So now all these Republicans, especially after Mitt Romney's debacle in Libya and Egypt and how he criticized the president and got his facts wrong and everybody called it craven and ham-handed, etc. Now all the Republicans turning on Romney. Why? They're throwing him under the bus so they can say, ah, he was just a bad candidate. If we just had a real conservative, if we were just more vicious towards Obama, we would have won. So let us go even more right wing next time. Hey, you know what? Have at it, Hoss, because you are going to get your ass handed to you from here to the end of time if you keep going in this direction. Don't like the direction you are going to. Sizzle like the attention that it used to. Stay out all night and get high with your friends. Wonder why you don't get a one thing done in the night. Don't like the direction. All right, this is Mike Kaufman. Mike Kaufman is a Republican congressman from the great state of Colorado. And he, at one point, was flirting with the whole birtherism thing. Mike Kaufman told a group of donors in Colorado in May that he was not sure where Barack Obama was born, but that Mr. Obama, he said, quote, is just not an American. Now, a great reporter from the local NBC affiliate in Denver decided to ask Mike Kaufman about that. Right? The, the questions that the reporter asked were totally reasonable questions. They were questions about Mike Kaufman and something Mr. Kaufman had done in public. Uh, but Mr. Kaufman's answers to those questions earned him a very proud place in our child's treasury of politicians refusing to answer very simple questions about themselves. Watch. After your comments about the president, do you feel that voters are owed a better explanation than just, I misspoke? I think that... Um, as I, I stand by my statement, uh, that I misspoke and I apologize. Okay, and who are you apologizing to? You know, I stand by my statement that I misspoke and I apologize. I apologize. We talk to you all the time. You're a very forthcoming guy. Who's telling you not to talk and to handle you it know, like I, this? I, I stand by my statement that I wrote, that you have, and I misspoke and I apologize. Was it that you thought it would go over well in Elbert County where folks are very conservative and you'd never say something like that in the suburbs? I stand by my statement that I misspoke and I apologize. Is there anything that I can ask you that you'll answer differently? You know, I stand by my statement that I misspoke and I apologize. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you. That was Republican Congressman Mike Kaufman of Colorado. Obviously, he stands by his statement that he misspoke and he apologizes. Is that clear?
Uh, right around that same time period, earlier this year, I love it. A Republican candidate uh, for Congress in Arizona, this guy, Jesse Kelly, uh, he earned his place in the child's treasury of politicians refusing to answer very simple questions about themselves. Uh, and he did so in a way that was so amazing, it made onlookers at the time, his own supporters who were standing right next to him while he was doing it, it made his own supporters laugh along audibly as it was happening. A great local ABC reporter in Arizona was asking Jesse Kelly very reasonable questions about whether he intended to accept a controversial endorsement that he got from an anti-immigrant group. Listen. Do you plan on accepting that endorsement this time? Our campaign is going to stay focused on lower gas prices, using American energy, lower taxes, and creating jobs. Do you plan on accepting that endorsement? Our campaign is going to stay focused on lower taxes, lowering gas prices, using American energy, and creating jobs. So is that a yes or a no? Our campaign is going to stay focused on lowering gas prices, creating jobs, and lowering gas prices using American energy. All right, so no comment. Our campaign is going to stay focused on lowering gas prices, creating jobs, and lowering taxes. All right, thanks, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if they're laughing at you, but if you're not laughing, by definition, they're not laughing with you. Uh, Jesse Kelly, ladies and gentlemen, can you believe that he lost that election? Yeah. Uh, today, we got a couple of new entries. The gentleman uh, that's shown right here in our book, his name is Josh Mandel. Josh Mandel is a Republican running for the United States Senate from Ohio. He's the guy who's running against Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. Now, Josh Mandel was pressed this week uh, by a very sharp local NBC reporter in Dayton, Ohio, about whether Mr. Mandel would have supported the auto bailout. Very specific question. And Mr. Mandel's amazing answer earns him a page in our child's treasury. This is so great. He blasted those, including Senator Brown and Republicans, who supported the Wall Street bailout, but refused to say what he would have done with General Motors. I have a vision for taking the Dayton area, taking some of these auto plants and former and factories that used to be filled, filling them back up with Dayton area workers to make pipes and tubes and fittings for new manufacturing jobs here in the Miami Valley. Josh Mandel, I appreciate what you're saying, but would you have supported the GM bailout? Again, I will do everything I can as United States Senator to protect auto jobs and grow auto jobs. And we've talked quite a bit throughout the state of Ohio about all the great plans we have for protecting auto jobs here. You're not going to answer it, are you? Great seeing you. Great seeing you. Here's a very simple question about yourself. Would you have supported this policy? Yes, it is great seeing you. What happened to him? Uh, then there is the ongoing controversy this week, of course, over Republican Congressman Todd Aiken of Missouri and his remarks in the past few days uh, that rape cannot cause pregnancy. That has turned into a political nightmare for a whole bunch of conservative politicians who have co-sponsored legislation with Todd Aiken about rape and pregnancy, uh, her, or who at least share his political beliefs that if a woman does get pregnant when she's raped, um, the government should force her to give birth against her will. So, one of the politicians um, uh, who's kind of in trouble over the Aiken thing is the Republican candidate for Senate in Washington State. His name is Michael Baumgartner, uh, and he earned his place in our child's treasury of politicians refusing to answer very simple questions about themselves and their records. Uh, when a local Seattle reporter interviewed him about whether he really did agree with Todd Aiken that rape victims should be forced by the government to give birth against their will, asked about that policy position, uh, which is, in fact, his policy position, a Washington Republican Senate candidate Mike Baumgartner's response was this, and I quote, Go F yourself!
That's what he said to the reporter, except he did not say F. Uh, Mr. Baumgartner actually put it in print. He put it in an email. Um, my favorite part of this entry in our child's treasury is the reporter's response to getting that email from the Senate candidate. The reporter's response was, quote, question mark, is this really Senator Baumgartner? Yes, yes it was. But he does not want to answer any questions about how much he is like Todd Akin on that policy. And of course, neither does the brand new star of our child's treasury of politicians refusing to answer very simple questions about themselves and their records. And that, of course, would be the guy with the dog-eared page. Yeah, the Republican vice presidential candidate, Paul Ryan. The Todd Akin controversy this week has earned Paul Ryan a special place in the child's treasury because of a local interview that Paul Ryan just gave to a CBS reporter in Pittsburgh. Now, Paul Ryan, as you know, has the exact same position as Todd Akin when it comes to abortion, when it comes to pregnancy and rape, and how much sway the government has over your decisions in those matters. Both men think that rape victims should be forced by the government to bear their rapist child against their will. But when Paul Ryan was asked about that position by this local reporter in Pittsburgh, he did everything he could to not answer for his own positions. It was amazing. His statements were outrageous, over the pale. I don't know anybody who would agree with that. Rape is rape, period, end of story. Ryan, like Romney, distanced himself from Aiken's remarks. But in Congress, he joined Aiken in opposing abortions, even when a woman has been raped. Should abortions be available to women who are raped? Well, look, I've, I'm proud of my pro-life record. And I stand by my pro-life record in Congress. It's something I'm proud of. Um, but Mitt Romney is the top of the ticket, and Mitt Romney will be president, and he will set the policy of the Romney administration. You sponsored legislation that has the language forcible rape. What is forcible rape, rape as opposed is rape, to? It's rape is rape, period. End of story. Uh, so that forcible rape language meant nothing to you at the time? Rape is rape, and there's no splitting hairs. Rape is rape, and there's no splitting, splitting hairs. The, the problem for Paul Ryan is that he has been splitting hairs legally on what rape is. His entire career he's been doing that. Paul Ryan co-sponsored a bill last year with Todd Akin to redefine rape in federal law. It was H.R. 3, the third bill introduced by the Republican majority when they took control of the House in 2010. That bill initially tried to redefine what rape is. It created a new category that they called forcible rape. Why do you need that new category? You need that new category to distinguish that kind of rape from other kinds of rape, to single out a subclass of rape that would allow you to still make a decision on your own pregnancy while victims of other subtypes of rape would not get that privilege in Paul Ryan's America. Paul Ryan was an original co-sponsor of the bill to redefine rape, to make it harder on rape victims who wanted to get an abortion. As our own Kelly O'Donnell reported today, Paul Ryan also attempted to redefine rape a year earlier, offering another piece of legislation that allowed for abortion in limited circumstances quote unless the pregnancy is the result of an act of forcible rape or incest you know the real kind of rape not that fake kind of rape that doesn't qualify but now when Paul Ryan is asked about his own record on this his own record to redefine what rape is you sponsored legislation that has the language forcible rape. What is forcible rape, rape as opposed is rape, to? It's rape is rape, period. End of story. Uh, so that forcible rape language meant nothing to you at the time? Rape is rape. And there's no splitting hairs. 
that's amazing. That that is amazing. I mean, it's amazing if you're some you know Senate or some congressional special election candidate. But when you're vice president, I mean, you sponsored legislation to do X. Well, I believe not X, but you sponsored legislation to do X. Yes, and I proudly believe not X. Also, I'm very proud of my record. There is a broader issue here. This is a test for the American media. This is a test for the press. Paul Ryan's record on abortion is just about identical to Todd Akin's record on abortion. But Paul Ryan not only does not want to talk about that, he is trying to rewrite history about it. And good on that local reporter in Pittsburgh for asking about this. I mean, Paul Ryan obviously needs to continue to be asked about this until he actually gives a straight answer about it. This is a test for the press. And some of the press, a lot of the local press actually, has turned out to be great in asking these questions and doing it in a dogged way, doing it in a really hard-nosed way that shows that they've done their homework before the interview. The conservative Beltway press, on the other hand, not so much. There's been a lot of attacks already against you, but you, you kind of experienced this beforehand. What is your relationship with President Obama? Explain how reforming the tax code would help people. Do you think Obama wants trillion dollar plus deficits every year? Tell us about your foreign policy experience. All right, your kids and uh, wife having they're a good time great. out yeah. there? They're doing fine. Looks like they're, they're having fun on yeah. the stage with you. Yeah, they do. They like it. Yeah. Congressman, great to see yeah. you again. Thanks, Thank Sean. you so much for your time. Great. In the midst of the whole Todd Akin, Paul Ryan rape controversy, not even a question about Todd Akin or rape when you've got Paul Ryan sitting right there? In that same hour, they dealt with the Paul Ryan, Todd Akin rape issue using correspondence and other discussants, but not the actual Paul Ryan. Why would you ask him about it? Not everybody in the press has to be uh, that bad at this. Um, again, this, this is what Paul Ryan now says about the issue of rape and pregnancy. Rape is rape, and there's no splitting hairs. So we still need a straight answer from Paul Ryan on this. What about all of the times that you personally tried to split hairs on what constitutes rape? Is there going to be an apology here? Did you not mean it when you did that in Congress more than once? Have you changed your mind about it? But while we are working on what the appropriate follow-up questions here need to sound like with Paul Ryan, running for vice president now, don't just stop at the splitting hairs about rape nonsense. Oh, there's more. His statements were outrageous, over the pale. I don't know anybody who would agree with that. I don't know anybody who would agree with that. Todd Akin said something that nobody has ever espoused. I've never heard that. Nobody believes that. That crazy guy. Let's get rid of him and that'll take care of our problem. You know, it's not actually true to characterize Todd Akin in that way. Todd Akin himself has been citing somebody by name and explaining where he came up with this cockamamie theory that your body, when you're raped, can distinguish that the sperm in question is from a rapist and should therefore be rejected as opposed to other sperm. Todd Akin cited an anti-abortion doctor named John Wilkie in making this case. Think Progress posted audio from a conservative talk show interview with Todd Akin today in which Todd Akin repeatedly references this Dr. Wilkie by name. You know, Dr. Wilkie has just released a statement and part of his letter, I think he just really stated it very clearly. Well, who, who is Dr. Wilkie who Todd Akin is citing as the source for his crazy theory that has now captivated all of American politics. Who is Dr. Wilkie? It's Dr. John Wilkie, a former Mitt Romney presidential campaign surrogate. A guy important enough to Mitt Romney that the 2008 Romney campaign put out a standalone solo press release headlining his endorsement. So Paul Ryan doesn't know anybody who would agree with Todd Akin's comments, he says. 
You talk to your running mate about it? London's Daily Telegraph newspaper is reporting tonight that this Dr. Wilkie, the guy who convinced Todd Akin that you can't get pregnant if you're raped, the Telegraph is reporting that he says he personally met with Mitt Romney as recently as this past October. So not the last time Mitt Romney ran for president, but this time. From the, from the Telegraph, quote, Dr. Wilkie told the Daily Telegraph that he did meet Mr. Romney during a presidential primary campaign stop in the doctor's home city of Cincinnati, Ohio, in October last year. Local news reports at the time noted that the candidate held private meetings during the visit. Here's the quote from Dr. Wilkie. He told me, thank you for your support. We agree on almost everything. And if I am elected president, I will make some major pro-life pronouncements. Dr. Wilkie said that to the Daily Telegraph in a telephone interview on Tuesday. Now, caveats here. This is the Telegraph, which is A, the British press, which is not what it used to be. And B, uh, it's the Telegraph, which even for the British press is not exactly all that confidence inspiring. But it is supposedly not a paraphrased quote, but a direct quote from this person who's very, very important in this national issue right now. And it would be good to hear directly from the Romney campaign if this is true or if they're denying that this meeting took place. So far, the Romney campaign is refusing to answer any questions about this. We asked the Romney campaign yesterday whether Mitt Romney has met with Dr. John Wilkie to discuss these issues, given how important Mr. Romney said he was to his campaign the last time he ran for president. So far, the campaign has not responded to any of our questions. They have not said no. They have blanked us. But these are questions that deserve answers. When you're throwing Paul, Todd Akin essentially out of the party for this, but he's your guy too? The Romney campaign has also refused to make Paul Ryan available for an interview with us. Surprise! Uh, but for any of my colleagues in the press who do get an interview with Mr. Ryan, can I suggest asking him about the rape is rape comment, there's no need to split hairs? Obviously, definitely, right? Ask him about that. There's no explanation for that that makes sense. But also ask him about this whole Dr. Wilkie thing. Really? You guys have never heard anybody else espouse this? That has no connection to your campaign? And while we're at it, Paul Ryan also said, quoting from the same interview that he did today, nobody is proposing trying to deny birth control to anybody. We're going to be dealing with that particular whopper a little bit later on in the show. But the, the, but the broader issue here is this. This is a test for the American press. Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney are actively trying to rewrite and distort their own record on the issue of abortion and rape and pregnancy at a time when the country is focused like a laser on this issue and the Republican Party is trying to distance itself from its own members and their policy positions on this subject. This is just like the Medicare issue. Paul Ryan said he wants to turn Medicare into a coupon system. And even when some other people in the Republican primary had issues with that, at least for a second, I'm talking to you, Newt Gingrich, Mitt Romney said that he would sign the Paul Ryan plan to end Medicare as we know it. He said he would sign it into law. Voucherizing Medicare? Yeah, I'd sign that into law. And now Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan are trying to run for the White House together by saying that they are the ones who are committed to protecting Medicare. The guys who committed on tape to ending Medicare. This is a test of the press. Do you just write down what they say? Do you report on what these candidates say their record is? Or do you report that, but also compare it to what their actual record is? And then badger them when there is a difference between those two accounts. It's not what they say, it's about what they've done. And when what they say is some distance from what they've done, that distance is the story. This is what the press is for. This is the good stuff. Time to do our jobs, everybody. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Laura Keeter. 
With the nation paused to commemorate the anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks, Fox News ignored history and President Obama's own words to attack him for not including the word God in a proclamation declaring September 11, 2012 to be Patriot's Day. Here's Gretchen Carlson. Okay, the president calls for a moment of silence, but he does not call for the word God. So some people are asking, why is God being left out again? Later, her colleague Steve Ducey added, Did the, Does the uh, President of the United States uh, call on people to pray for those lives lost? No. The reality is that President Obama followed the example of President George W. Bush, who did not include the word God in his 2006, 2007, and 2008 Patriots Day proclamations. Furthermore, President Obama did in fact call on, quote, God's grace and ask people to pray for the lives lost in a separate official proclamation. So, you know, uh, maybe you've been living under a rock, but uh, Mitt Romney's... Uh Mitt Romney's been imploding the past week. I mean, it really was just a matter of time. And we have a clip from Ann Romney where, you know, I, I, I feel badly. I Honestly, I, I feel badly a little bit, um, a little bit. But I know that in a couple of months they're going to be just fine. They're going to be just fine. But Fox and Friends, desperate to change the topic, how would you do it if Mitt Romney had put his foot in his mouth uh, got involved in this whole U.S. Embassy thing. Uh, if you uh, knew that this tape was floating around about Mitt Romney, if there was something, what could you possibly do to distract? Well, of course, you would try and blow up this um, notion that somehow President Obama is being throwing Israel under the bus, being rude to Bibi Netanyahu. How could he? Well, here's... Fox and Friends telling us the story. Right. All right, it looks like Middle East peace will have to wait. The president says he's got no time to meet with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, but meeting with a pirate, no problem. <laughs> and I'm not talking a Pittsburgh pirate, which yeah. makes a lot more sense. He could be from Pittsburgh. That's true. Wouldn't it be funny if the pirate came out of that car? That would be interesting. <laughs> but I haven't seen a pirate in a long time. I know, but he's busy at the White House. Now apparently. pause right. it for a second. Understand that they're showing a picture of President Obama sitting down you know, the classic picture where he's talking to foreign leaders, but he's talking to a, a guy dressed as a pirate because... Like an army. Yeah, like, a, you know, like an old, like, a, you know, like a... Keep playing him. I got to hear more about that story because it doesn't totally seem to gel. But anyway, Here the president comes. doesn't have time for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, but has an Oval Office sit down <laughs> with a guy dressed as a pirate. I got to hear more I about that. I don't know if he's dressed as a Now, this is a compilation. Throughout the day, they're doing this. So this is already where I'm mentioned three. Keep going. Pirate. He's already here with his hand. The president says he's got no time to meet with uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. But the pirate got in. Not a problem. Ah, uh, yeah. Time for a shot of the morning. And it's a quick look at what President Obama's been up to. Arg. Here he is, sitting down with the pirate, making sure he didn't forget to mark International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Uh -huh. 
Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu Six. still waiting for that president meeting with Mr. Obama. Remember the White House said that President Obama was simply too busy to sit down with him. As you can see right there, he's getting the Clint Eastwood treatment. Also, I feel kind of bad that we missed uh, international or national uh, talk like a pirate day yesterday. Okay, all right. Look, that's six. They go on. It's like seven, eight, nine, ten. So this is a major scandal, obviously, at Fox and Friends. Uh, I mean, because you're talking about President Obama not meeting, not having the time to meet with Bibi Netanyahu a month out from an election, um, and probably not wanting to, but 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 saying that it's uh, no time. But he has time to meet with a pirate. Unbelievable. This is the man that David Gregory said was king of the Jews. Isn't that what Bibi Netanyahu was? King of the Jews? I think it was leader of the Jews. Leader but, of the Jews. King of the Jews sounds pretty impressive, Sam. Whatever. Leader of the Jews. President of the Jews. King of the Jews. It doesn't matter. And, and Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, meeting instead with a pirate. I am just... It's almost impossible to imagine this could be the case. Oh, what's this coming through my Twitter feed? On September 20th? Or excuse, is that what it was? Yeah. From Fox and Friends. I, I only have Fox and Friends on my Twitter feed. So when, when something comes up, I can see it almost immediately. The picture we aired this morning of the president and the pirate was from 2009. <laughs> just, just. No, sorry. No, oh, correction. No. Hey, uh, all those people who listen to Fox and Friends are now going around and telling their, um, their buddies and everyone at the show, you know, if the, if the, the, the leader... <laughs> That the uh, the leader of the Jews was snubbed for a pirate. You should know that only in the sense that he met with a pirate three years ago, and not in the sense that he met with a pirate instead of meeting with uh, Bibi Netanyahu. So we were. Uh, uh, Foxy friends would say are bad, but they're not really even saying that. They're just going like. Just wanted to let you know, 2009. Sometimes we all make mistakes. Sometimes we catch the real tough breaks. But here's a trick that I've been working on. Just say oops and move on. Ran out of gas. Or maybe you stepped on Or tweeted your boner to a college girl Just say oops and move on Or maybe you're a movie star And you end up at a bar Next thing you know you're getting blackout drunk And saying stuff about Jews Speaking of how do you know when uh, Fox News is telling you the truth This is one of my favorite Fox News clips in the history of this show, Lewis, we've had a lot of a lot of gems. I mean, this is a gem, believe me. This, you know, how Fox News is just completely feverish about trying to figure out any new way to be critical of President Obama. 
they decided to have this guy on, Max Rice, who was a former Obama supporter. He voted for Obama in 2008, but he's now disenchanted with Obama, and he's going to be voting for Mitt Romney in 2012. Well, it turns out that it was just completely fake. Number one, the kid wasn't even old enough to vote in 2008, as far as I can tell. And it was just a complete fake thing. He goes on, he's interviewed by Gretchen Carlson, and he calls her Miss America or Miss USA, whatever. She was a, a, a Miss something winner back when she was younger. She clearly starts getting irritated right away, and it's just unbelievable that this even happened. I love it. You gotta love this stuff. Let's get to the video, Lewis. Go for it. That swing, former Obama supporters, the young people, to the Romney Ryan ticket. Joining me now is a recent college grad, Max Rice. He voted for President Obama. So. Now he's unemployed and just moved out of his parents' home. Good right. morning to you, Max. Well, hello, Miss, Miss USA. It's an honor. Uh, Miss America. I wish I could see but, you. But, but close enough. Miss America. Um, Miss Universe, in my book, in my book. Oh, okay. Well, well thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> now, tell me your story. You believed in uh, the hope and change yeah, of tell President us. Obama, and so you voted for him. And, and tell me about the next three oh, and a half years. I was a huge Obama supporter in 2008. I, I met him in third grade. Now the guy takes out a coffee in the middle of the interview. I met him when I was little. Okay. And why now are you supporting <laughs> Mitt oh, What's your question? <laughs> why now are you supporting Mitt Romney? Uh, why am I supporting Mitt Romney? It's actually a funny story. I lost a basketball game to a friend of mine, Alex Dern, who's a huge supporter of this show. Okay, so it sounds like you're not being very serious. I'm also, about this. I'm also disappointed in uh, the direction that Obama's taking this nation. <laughs> but yeah, I will be casting my ballot for Mitt Romney. Okay. And uh, true that you had to go back and live with your parents after you graduated from college? Oh yeah, after I went to college for a bit, I had to go back and live with my parents this summer. I'm back on my own. Independent. I'm on national TV. I feel like I'm doing good. It's an honor. Okay. Well, <laughs> are you being serious about this interview or not? Right. You can't tell yeah. still, Gretchen. Okay. I well, can't see your face right now. This is so weird. All right. Well, actually, we're going to wrap this up now because I'm not so sure that you're actually oh, we being are? totally serious about that. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Why not? Yeah, I'm not Gretchen, sure that I'm not sure that you're ready for for prime time yet with this incredible. Interview. I mean, it's it, the funniest thing is that it took her almost two full minutes to realize he's not taking it seriously. Didn't you notice when the fact that he wasn't even 18 when he when the last the last election happened would be an indication he never voted for Obama? Oh right, Fox News producers were so feverishly trying to get anyone on to criticize the president in any way they can find that they didn't even bother to check how old this kid is. Amazing, Lewis. Yeah. Um, and by the way, when he pulls out a coffee in the middle of the interview and starts drinking it instead of answering your questions, is that not a sign he's not taking it seriously? Makes me want to try this myself. Of course, he was set up with a camera and everything, too, so it's not like this is just a quick phone call either. Right. No, I mean, no, no, no. There, was, there was some setup involved here. There was absolutely setup. He's having coffee during the interview, Gretchen. He's not taking it seriously. You don't need two minutes to figure that out. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because Great, so. any, any minimum amount of fact-checking would have eliminated this possibility from happening. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Laura Keeter. On three separate occasions during the same edition of Fox & Friends, Gretchen Carlson asked if the recent attack on the U.S. consulate in Libya was, quote, the first successful terrorist attack since 9-11. Here's Carlson. Did the first successful terror attack since September 11th just happen under President Obama's watch? The White House is saying no to that question. 
But Carlson never actually answered the question herself. There were several high-profile terrorist attacks inside the U.S. during the Bush administration after 9-11. And in the 2008 edition of its annual report compiling all known instances of terrorism, the State Department counted more than 40,000 terrorist attacks worldwide between 2005 and 2007. Of course, this should come as no surprise, as Fox has a history of reacting to violence during the Obama administration by claiming that no terrorist attacks in the U.S. occurred during the Bush administration. This is one of my favorite places on the interwebs, the website World Net Daily, sometimes affectionately referred to as World Nut Daily. It's the ultra-conservative, super-right-wing conspiracy theory website that has made a cottage industry out of investigating whether President Obama is maybe secretly foreign. World Net Daily is birther central. The website's, the website's store has made seemingly considerable money pushing at deep discounts uh, the book Where's the Birth Certificate? The author of Where's the Birth Certificate is named Jerome Corsi, and he's essentially the in-house birther on the WorldNet Daily's writing staff. Well, last spring, when President Obama released a copy of his long-form birth certificate, it essentially gutted the thin credibility of WorldNet Daily's central mission. And that meant that Jerome Corsi needed a new reason to get out of bed every morning. And Jerome Corsi has now found one. Oh yes, of course he did. Did you think they would give up on this? In recent weeks, Jerome Corsi has written a handful of articles alleging that Barack Obama, the secretly Kenyan, secretly Muslim, only maybe the president guy, is also secretly gay! <laughs> yes, of course. Look at this, this is amazing. A prominent member of Chicago's homosexual community claims Barack Obama's participation in the gay bar and bathhouse scene was so well known that many who were aware of his lifestyle were shocked when he ran for president and finally won the White House. And of course he won the White House only because he had one of his former gay lovers killed and another one paid off to buy his silence. Birtherism, it's not just for geography anymore. Here's what Jerome Corsi and World Net Daily now say is their evidence that President Obama secretly has the gay. They say long before he married Michelle Obama, he used to wear a ring on the fourth finger of his left hand. Since that finger can only wear a wedding ring, that means he was secretly married. And that means he was secretly married, then well, if he was secretly married, it must be he was secretly gay married? Yeah, okay. One source telling World Net Daily that when he met Barack Obama at Occidental College in 1980, his gaydar went off. He believed Mr. Obama and his college roommate were lovers. Gay. Just look at this photo of Obama and his roommate that's been posted on the website of another one of World Net Daily's main sources. Well, straight males don't sit on sofas together like this. Gay. Straight men also don't let Florida pizza shop owners pick them up like this. Gay. Straight men do play golf in foursomes, but when Barack Obama does it with young male staffers, gay. Every president of the United States in the modern era has had a male personal assistant, a so-called body man. But when President Obama has a body man, that's code for boyfriend, gay. Cal Penn, the actor who used to work at the White House, they say he was another one of President Obama's secret gay boyfriends. I mean, why else would anybody leave Hollywood, probably West Hollywood, to go work at the White House? Gay, 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 gay. World Net Daily says so. Now the president's going to have to unveil his straight certificate. The long form one. <laughs> I love these people. Cause you love, love, love when you know I can't love. You love, love, love when you know I 
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Journalists socializing with the powerful, who they should be scrutinizing, is nothing new. But an eye-popping new piece from the political conventions by the Washington Post's Paul Fari suggests that journalists and media organizations may be taking the practice to a new level, in some cases literally providing massages for politicians. Quote, at the Huffington Post Oasis Spas in Charlotte and Tampa, Delegates and VIPs at the Democratic and Republican conventions have been treated to free sleep consultations, stress reduction advice, and yoga classes. The politically connected can get back rubs courtesy of the media organization with a choice of massage oils. Close quote. Essential wining and dining is also included, quote, over at the CNN Grill, an elaborate, fully functioning restaurant-turned-TV news set within the convention center's secure perimeter, food and drinks are on the house for invited bigwigs, such as Newt Gingrich and Tom Brokaw, close quote. Aside from Faris, there seem to be few ethical qualms about the journalists servicing politicians, which executives say is excellent for business. Quote, it's been incredibly successful in raising awareness of the Huffington Post's health and lifestyle coverage, said Ariana Huffington of her company's massage venue, whose visitors on Tuesday included House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. Close quote. Fari deserves kudos for this reporting, which can't have made him popular with his colleagues in the press or his bosses, as he also noted some of the Washington Post's extracurricular activities. Of course, this kind of reporting should be routine. The reason it isn't should be obvious. Cars and phones and diamond rings Bling, bling Those are only removable things And what about your mind does it shine on? Are there things that concern you more than your time? Gone, going, gone The birds when they don't want to sing Gone people All awkward with their thing Gone Andrea Seabrook was a reporter with uh, National Public Radio, NPR, for the last 14 years. She's done. Uh, she's going to go on to a new project, uh, and uh, it's being partly funded by a grant from SoundCloud. Uh, it's called Decode DC. And what she's going to try to do is decipher what Washington politicians are actually saying uh, when they give their talking points. Well, I love that. That's actually what we've been doing on the Young Turks for 10 years. But it's great to have a veteran reporter doing that as an entire project. I, I welcome that thoroughly. Now, why is she doing that? She's enormously frustrated. And she thinks that it's, the politicians do nothing but lie. Oh, 
Thank God. Finally, somebody, a reporter in the mainstream press, realizes it. In fact, she's got scathing quotes that I totally agree with. Here, let's give you some of those. I realize that there's a part of covering Congress, if you're doing daily coverage, that is actually sort of colluding with the politicians themselves, because so much of what I was doing was actually recording and playing what they say or repeating what they say. Bingo! Nailed it. That's exactly what these reporters are doing. And she explains, look, it's partly because they're so busy. They don't have time to do investigative pieces that you get sent out for a daily piece, and then everybody's accusing you of bias in every direction. So what do you do? The easy route is, Democrats said this, Republicans said that, I don't get in trouble, I make deadline, I move on with my life. Now, did you actually do any reporting? No. All you did was regurgitate nonsense lies. In fact, she talks about that next. She says, and I feel like the real story of Congress right now is very much removed from any of that, from the sort of theater of the policy debate in Congress, and has become such a complete theater that none of it is real. I feel like I am, as a reporter in the Capitol, lied to every day, all day. There's so little genuine discussion going on with the reporters. To me, as a reporter, everything is spent. The only thing I have to add to that is that that is a million percent correct, and I love that someone else has recognized that and she's been doing this for 14 years. She goes on to say, we need to stop coddling lawmakers, stop buying their red team, blue team narrative, and ask harder questions of them. To which I say, here, here. It's not just asking harder questions of Republicans. You definitely need to ask harder questions of Democrats. They have nonsense talking points too. And they put, do their spin as well. And God, so often it is not challenged especially by liberals who say, oh, no, no, we got a Democrat in office, we have to just support him and clap louder. No, 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 if he's doing things that violate, you know, the campaign promises that are not true to reality, of course as a reporter you should call them out, let alone liberal activists should be calling them out for issues that they have violated policy positions on. But the entire state of Washington is go along to get along. For reporters, it should be unacceptable. Unfortunately, it's become a way of life for them. Final quote from her makes me love her even more. Quote, there's a lot of great work being done here. I think the problem is Congress itself. And we're all in the same position, scrambling to figure out how the hell to cover these assholes. <laughs> all right, well, now she's talking my language. You see, the problem with the rest of the press is they don't think that those guys are assholes. They don't think that they're liars. They don't think that they're trying to manipulate the system on behalf of themselves and their donors. They think, oh, great, this uh, esteemed politician, this honorable man is telling me a talking point. I should write it down and put it in the paper. That's what's wrong with the system, and I love that she's calling that out. marks the one-year anniversary for the Occupy movement, but that's not what this episode is about. It's about McNoodles. 
You see, on the anniversary of Occupy, a few thousand people went down to yet again try to shut down Wall Street, and many millions supported it from afar, supported those standing up against an unsustainable level of inequality that affects everything, from our standard of living, to our justice system, to whether you can afford your own personal lobbyist to pay your congressperson to give a tip of a turd about you. But most of the largest media outlets hardly covered Occupy, because there was more important news going on. For instance, I checked CNN and garnering more coverage than Occupy was a story on a Florida teenage girl's hair being pulled out by a machine in a high school shop class. When I saw this, I was taken aback. I was aghast. I wet my already poop-stained pants. I simply cannot believe that in this supposedly advanced country of ours, we still have shop class? What the hell are we teaching these kids? How to be a cargo cult? Yes, if there is one thing these young adults need before they venture out into the world, it is solid whittling skills. Is there a class on how to properly sacrifice a goat to the sun god Ra? Because that would be equally crucial. Above Huffington Post's single article on Occupy, was the heart-stopping headline, Are You Ready For McNoodles? I'm not kidding. And apparently, I'm not even ready for an article on McNoodles. This is a game-changer. This is a showstopper. Hang on to your photographs of how things used to be. Because after McNoodle-pocalypse, nothing will ever be the same. Printing press, automobile, McNoodles. What are three things that change the world? And as if it's not asinine enough already, the post was about McDonald's noodles coming to Austria. It wouldn't be news in the United States if Austria got a nuclear sub, but it's somehow news that they got a noodlier supper? And finally, one of the top stories on Fox News, as they largely ignored Occupy, was, quote, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, considering plan to purge downtown of pooches. Clearly, this story was chosen 100% for its alliteration value, which, let's face it, is through the roof! Of course, this does mean we can only hope that when there are serious emergencies, they involve words with the same first letter. If there's a massive hurricane heading towards New York City, we better pray to the Almighty that it's a hurricane of hungry hippos. Otherwise, it will get no news coverage at all, and we'll be screwed. This explains how Bin Laden was able to plan an attack, but the secret attack by the big-titted terrorists of Turkestan was doomed from the get-go. The point is, these so-called news outlets are only reporting on things a toddler would report to her imaginary pony. So who's covering the real stuff? Truthout.org, Democracy Now!, Alternet, RealNews.com, and several others. On the anniversary of the first global protest movement in my lifetime, Truthout had in-depth articles on it. And they also cover things like the unmentionable war in Afghanistan and the court cases around the completely not constitutional indefinite detention of American citizens. The Constitution and indefinite detention have nothing to do with each other. They're like Clint Eastwood and an empty chair. When you put the two anywhere near each other, it makes no sense! And you're left confused and scared and in a fetal position. So get your truth from real news sources and help keep them going because otherwise you're only going to hear stories on the Munchy Multi Grain McNoodles.
Jared, I just listened to the most recent podcast, and I've got to say, I'm completely tired of the left complaining about Obama's policies and how we haven't gotten change. We voted for change in 2008, and we've gotten a lot of change. This was exemplified by Lee Camp at the end of the last podcast, talking about how no matter who we vote for, it doesn't really matter because candidates are all that different. Barack Obama modified student loans, brought us Wall Street reform, brought us health care reform. There are a million different ways in which change has come because we voted for this president. And there are a million different ways in which change will come if we vote for him again. I don't know if people thought that because he was black or something, that because we voted for him in 2008, the change that all the modifications would come that we need in America for it to be a truly equal and respective place for all Americans. But there is no candidate who could do that in four years. There is no way that that could happen in four years. Change is incremental. It's always incremental, and our system is designed to have it that way. Thank God, or else George W. Bush really would have screwed us all to hell even more than he did. So, I, I know that we want to see more changes on an even wider degree of difficulty. But you can't do that in four years. You shouldn't complain when we have probably the most progressive president that we've ever had in the United States of America. So, I don't know. I, I just wanted to call in and say that. But I'm really frustrated by the left that says that uh, Barack Obama is... that there is no difference between the two parties. But there certainly is. And the more times that we put candidates like that in office, the more that we're going to get those incremental changes that lead us to a better future. Thanks. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I've got a couple of things to talk about today. First of all, I think I have a reasonably coherent uh, conclusion on the issue of depicting Muhammad, knowing that it may have dangerous repercussions based on the crazy reactions of fundamentalist Muslims. And, and so first, you know, I think that the, the reason that this is an uncomfortable question for listeners of a show like this, who generally live in countries that guarantee uh, freedom of speech, you know, basically feels like this question is asking if you will give in to the demands of extremists. And I think that's true. I think basically uh, by not showing the image of Muhammad, then you are sort of giving in to the demands of extremists who don't generally deserve to have their demands given into. And previous commenters made the distinction about the gray area of morality based on the intention and the execution of criticisms of different religions, which is a great answer to a different question, but it sidestepped the sort of black and white nature of this question uh, in, in particular. And so I don't think that it is the morality and the gray area therein that, that is the question. But it's actually the steepness of the demand that is the gray area and the cost-benefit ratio. So, you know, there's obviously not much benefit to depicting Muhammad. I mean, sh show me uh, a, a situation where drawing Muhammad will save someone's life and we'll have a different discussion about it. But, you know, the, the, the benefit isn't that great and the cost, although ridiculous, can potentially be high. And so... You know, it turns out like, yeah, it is sort of giving in to the demands, 
but luckily the demand just isn't very onerous. You know, it's it's just not a, a steep demand to give into. So I think that that you know it's uncomfortable and it's kind of crappy. But what I was trying to do with this whole question was to explore whether or not acquiescing to a ridiculous demand like this could l- potentially lead to more extreme demands uh, being fulfilled. So like, is it our moral obligation to not give into this so that you don't go down a slippery slope of you know, giving into more and more ridiculous demands or more and more onerous demands? But I kind of don't think that's the case. I kind of think that this is basically a unique case that is not necessarily indicative of anything else. And so it's just kind of one of those things and it's not that great and it's uncomfortable, but I don't think it's dangerous uh, per se. So that's sort of like a conclusion. Um, Now, as for today's voicemail, (laughs) here's my thought on that. If you're tired of listening to progressives complain about politicians not being progressive enough, then I, you know, you just have to take a power nap and get comfortable or start listening to someone else. You know, personally, I simply do not see a possibility that any president will ever be elected who won't be worthy of criticism from the left. Yeah, because the whole point of being progressive is to endlessly push for progress. We may win some battles, as this caller pointed out, but the war is never over and there are always other battles waiting to be fought. It's the, it's the absolute nature of progressives to focus on the problems that need to be fixed rather than to bask in the glow of problems already dealt with. Uh, and, and so, you know, and then as to his point of anyone on this show claiming that there's no difference between the parties, I think that's just wrong. Uh, I, I don't think that Lee Camp uh, nor I believe that there is no difference between the parties. But what was uncomfortable about Lee's segment in the previous episode the caller referred to is that there are a disturbing number of similarities between the parties and that's undeniable I think and it does no one any good to ignore that so that said I think that anyone who believes there are no differences as as the caller was sort of intimating that that was being said on the show I think anyone who believes that is deluding themselves or they're just using a different definition of the word no than I am because I certainly don't think that's the case And finally today, I just want to get you guys in the mood for some uh, award ceremonies coming up. Uh, So the the podcast awards are coming up soon. Nominations will be opened. I'm going to be uh, running for that this year for the first time in a couple of years. I thought that would be fun, Um, but that's not open yet. So to to get in the mood for it, I want to mention that This Week in Blackness has been talking on their show about how they are nominated for some awards over at the Black Weblog Awards. So if you like the segments that I play from them on this show or if you listen to them directly and like them, then uh, check out uh, blackweblogawards.com. Find all the categories that they're listed in and uh, give them a vote. So that is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening and especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations to the show. That is absolutely how the program survives. Uh, Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you uh, particularly love through your social networks that can all be done through the website stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on facebook and twitter and for details on the show itself including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog so coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right 
shining sheen. Ain't no 